ah, it's almost time for me to do my sermon. I thought, oh, better get your sermon notes out, Nick. And I reached into my file and they weren't there. So, um, isn't technology wonderful? I have managed to bring up a copy from my computer at home. I hope. Let's see if it works. And then I think we better pray. Ah, look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Lord Jesus, thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your never-ending love for us. Lord, it is our fervent desire to follow in your footsteps. Lord, we are talking for the next little while about walking with Jesus. And we want to walk with you, Jesus. So often our footsteps are faltering. And the path that we tread, we walk off to the side. And yet even there you are with us saying, follow me. Lord, your disciples didn't understand completely. They didn't follow you perfectly. Even after you sent them the Spirit, Lord, they still made mistakes. But Lord, by your Spirit, give us the strength and the power and the desire to walk as you have walked. Lord, renew us and make us new. For all the ways that we have failed you this week, we pray forgiveness. For all the ways that we have honored you this week, we pray, use it somehow. Lord, for those of us who have had brilliant weeks, I pray thanks. And for those of us who have had tough weeks with sickness or circumstances or whatever, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing. Lord, we think of your promise. We think of your word. We think of your challenge to us to to give over to you all that burdens and weighs upon us because you care for us. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Lord. Amen. Well, we're reading again, as, as Colin has shown for us, we're reading again from Mark, and we've already read it, which was wonderful. And we're looking at this It's only 10 verses, verses 35 to 45. If you remember what's happened in Mark so far, we've we've been introduced to Jesus. You you know, when when you watch a a TV show, there's there's the bit beforehand, and then it comes to sort of a crescendo, and then the titles start playing, and then the movie starts. You know that sort of thing? This is what we've seen so far. We've we've done the pre-bit at the very beginning. We've, We've heard the... Kind of like, it's not a flashback, but kind of like a flashback to John the Baptist. Make way! Make way! The king is coming! This, this, this herald for the king saying, hey, get your lives in order because the king is almost here. Turn 180 degrees, stop running away from the kingdom, run towards it. And then we, we met Jesus, and Jesus came, and Jesus got baptized by John, and then he went out into the wilderness, and what did he start doing? He went out and he went preaching Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And we said, hey, it's more than near. It's actually there in Jesus. It's near because Jesus is near. And then last week we looked and we we saw, if you look at the back, we've started putting up, if you'll turn around, look at the back. 
<laughs> on the backboard, you'll remember our, our bulletin covers. Hopefully this reminds you, first week we learned about the kingdom, so we've got the crown. Then we saw the boat. What the boat? The boat was the fishes of men. And we saw Jesus calling his disciples to be part of, of the kingdom challenge, saying, turn and be saved before the day of judgment comes. And we saw this is just the, the most amazing calling of Jesus, how he, he challenges and changes lives. And, and we finished there with Jesus going into the synagogue one day and preaching. And there was, in the middle of the church, there was this bloke with a demon who, because he had a demon, recognized Jesus and screamed at the top of his lungs. And, and Jesus just looked at him and said, shush up and get out. And the people were so frightened because Jesus' gentle words, the demon screamed, threw the man on the ground and then left. And they were all astounded. And that night they went... Peter, uh, Peter took Jesus to his home and he stayed there and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. She made them some food and when the Sabbath ended, the whole town came along with all the sick and the demon-possessed for Jesus to heal. And it's the week after, it's, it's, it's that night and as the, the night changes to morning, we see Jesus getting up early, before sunrise, sneaking out of the house, Chances are he stayed in the house with Peter and Peter's mother-in-law. But he sneaks out, not in a nasty way, just to be by himself. It's been a hard day the day before. Jesus wants to spend time alone with the Father. Because everything he is comes from the Father. And all of his authority and all of his strength and all of his, his words come from his Father. I don't know what he prayed. I wish I knew what he prayed. In fact, I wish I was a bit more like Jesus. Um, when life gets tough, sneaking out in the morning to spend time with Jesus. When life gets tough, I like to sleep. I like to sleep in the next morning, not get up early after a long, arduous... The whole town coming out to be healed it would have been going well into the night. And yet Jesus gets up early to go and pray. Gospels are full of Jesus praying. Um, he teaches us to pray. Prayer is vital for Jesus. There's only three times in the Gospel of Mark where we see Jesus praying. And each time it's, it's sort of around this, this momentous occasion in the Gospel where where things are about to change direction or kick off or really get into gear. Because whatever Jesus does, he knows that he needs the Father's strength and power. And if Jesus, God himself, needed the Father's power, boy, what about us? Simon and Co., meanwhile, Mother-in-law, breakfast. By the way, I, did you know that mother-in-law is an anagram? You rearrange the letters, it, it stands for woman Hitler. Peter's mother-in-law is not that bad. <laughs> she probably made, them, probably made them breakfast, and then they're going, oh, where's Jesus? Better get Jesus out here for some breakfast. I feel like Val. Better get Jesus out here for some breakfast. And they go out and, oh, look, the people are already lining up for him again at the front. Come, Jesus, come down. He's not there. 
And so they go chasing after him and, and the wordage that they got there, they don't just go looking for Jesus. The, the wordage in the Bible there's got the idea of they are on a manhunt for Jesus. If they had dogs, they'd use sniffer dogs. They want to find him because it's so important. They've got to get him back. Look, Jesus, they're thinking, here is the scene of your triumph. The whole town is coming for you. Look how much they adore you. Look how powerful you are. Come, return with us. Surely Jesus will be pleased to know that all the people are looking for him. Crowds wanted to see Jesus again. Because Jesus was an impressive sight to see. Because Jesus did amazing things. And the disciples are going in that same vein and saying, Jesus, come on. Now's your time. Enjoy the name that you've made for yourself. People respect you. People look up to you. You're popular, Jesus. And when they find Jesus, much to their... I imagine much to their dismay. Because these disciples are thinking like we think. If you are popular, if it's working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. you got something good going on here. Keep going. And Jesus turns around and says, no. Jesus understands what's happening here. He understands that, that the crowds are, are interested and excited because of, because of what he's done, because of the miracles, because of the power that he shows, because of the authority that he speaks. And yet, perhaps not so much because of what he says. They're in it for what they can get out of him, not what they can give to God. And Jesus says to them, look, I'm not going to let disciples, you guys, you 12, if all of them have come along, four maybe at this point, I'm not going to let you guys come and dictate to me my mission. This is before the choosing of the 12, so it's at least the four. I'm not going to let you dictate my mission, and I'm certainly not going to let the crowds dictate my mission. In fact, what you've got to understand is that I'm not going back to Capernaum now. Why? Verse 38, 39, because I have to go and preach the gospel news, the good news to all of Israel. You see, for Jesus and, and for us, really, the gospel cannot be static. Jesus didn't say, Kingdom's close! Kingdom's close! And wait for the next group of people to come. And when the kingdom... Jesus didn't stay put. Jesus said to them, no, I'm going to go through all the villages of Galilee. I'm going to preach the good news there to all of them. What an example for us, eh? It's so much easier to sit down and say, we've got a fantastic church, we've got a great place where we meet. 
We believe the kingdom is nearer now than it was before. And so we want everyone to come in. So, so we're going to stand here and say, kingdom. Now, Jesus, Jesus said to the people, hey, even if life's going fantastic, even if I am the most popular person and people are flocking to me now, I'm still good. I'm going to go out because, A, it's not about, it's not about the miracles. It's about the preaching of the kingdom. And B, because people everywhere need to hear about this. Because what my mission is, is bigger than Capernaum. It's bigger than my adulation from this crowd. It's bigger than that. I'm going to go through all of the villages of Galilee. And yes, there are going to be miracles there. Verse 39 says that he went around and, and he healed the sick and he cast out the demons. But... That's not the focus. Jesus says, I'm going to go through the villages to preach. I'm going through, through the villages to tell them the good news that God loves them and that God wants them to be His. And He wants them to turn to Him and be saved. You see, Jesus knew that Although his miracles were impressive, the gospel is also about suffering. And ultimately the gospel would, would find its most dramatic moment in the cross. As I was researching this, I came across something which really astounded me. Uh, apparently from, from all the archaeology that they've done, in, in Jesus' day, the synagogues would always be built facing Jerusalem. So um, if you were in, um, in Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem, the synagogues would be facing south towards Jerusalem. Um, if you were east of the Jordan, uh, your synagogue would be facing west towards Jerusalem. Uh, if you were south of Jerusalem, you'd be facing north to Jerusalem, and west you'd be facing east to Jerusalem. And you look at me and go, so What? Jesus was going around preaching the good news, knowing that the good news ultimately meant his death. And every time he got up to stand in front of the congregation, he would be looking towards the place where he would be executed. And he knew it. And he said, I'm going to go through all the villages, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to say, God wants you. Isn't that incredible? I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I would be able to do that. Certainly not in my own strength. To stand up and look every week at the place where I was going to be killed for those I was preaching to. One of the things that happens on this journey that Jesus has as he goes through the Galilean town sides is that he's met by a man and there's probably there's lots of people that he heals. Uh, verse 39 tells us that he cast out demons. I assume he healed lots of people too. But there's one incident that Mark wants to highlight for us. He says in verse 40 over here, a man with leprosy came and he knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Now, we look at leprosy and we think of, of the modern phrase is Hansen's disease. I'm not sure if that was exactly what it was. Leprosy as a word covered a whole bunch of diseases, but, 
whatever disease he had, this man was suffering. He was suffering from the disease. If it was Hansen's disease, leprosy as we know it, you, you know it's one of those diseases that, that attacks your nerve endings. And, and the problem is if you attack your nerve endings, the body's first line of healing is gone. Because it's the pain that alerts you to something that needs to be fixed. And so you would quite happily put your hand down on a hot stove or on a hot brick by the fire. This is a man who has probably suffered so much hurt and made even more painful by the fact that he couldn't feel it. But more than that, this is a man who who is socially suffering. A, A law in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13, 14, said that if you had leprosy, you were to be separated from all of the people. You weren't allowed to live inside the camp. You, you had to, I mean, this, is, this is, sounds horrible to us. You had to wear torn clothes, and you had to leave your hair uncombed, kind of like me today, but, but imagine totally uncombed hair, because who's going to cut your hair? It's going to be long, it's going to be unkempt, you're going to look horrible. And you're going to have a cloth covering the bottom of your face, and everywhere you go, you're going to call, unclean, unclean. And whenever you see someone, you'll just probably see them scattering away from you as fast as they can. And it's not so much to, to, to stop the spread of disease that all of this came there, but it was a religious thing because the, the leprosy stood for impurity. You were seen as a living corpse in many respects. Um, So much so that in the Old Testament, being cured of leprosy is likened to being raised from the dead. And he came up to Jesus. He broke the law. He came up to Jesus within touching distance on his knees humble and he begs for healing he says Jesus if you want to you can heal me you know what an amazing word what amazing words you can heal me is because for Jews healing of leprosy is something that only God can do. You might have read the story in, uh, in 2 Kings. I think it will be this week. What, Friday? 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, the story of Naaman, the, I think, Syrian commander. One of those foreign enemy nations. Has leprosy, has got a Jewish slave who says, hey, go, go there's this prophet in, in my country, go there. And he arrives at the king of Israel and says, what, heal me of my leprosy, please. And 2 Kings 5, 7 records the king saying to him, am I God, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does your king, why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? I'm not God, only God can do it. And here comes this man knowing 
all of the Old Testament says only God can heal of leprosy. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, you can heal me. You can. I know it. Because everything I've heard, and, and boy, if a leper gets to hear about you, you know everyone's talking about it. Everything I've heard says that you have the power of God. Do you, you hear the sad note in there? Do you hear the brokenness of this man? He is absolutely confident that Jesus has the power, but look at how broken he comes. He says, begging on his knees, he says, if you are willing, you can heal me. If you are willing. Kind of like, I've seen myself. I wouldn't touch me. I wouldn't heal me. Why would God want to heal me? Nobody, everyone runs away from me. I'm outcast. I'm not allowed in the temple to worship God. I'm not allowed anywhere. I have to live out in the wilds. Look at me. Why would, why, why would you want to heal me? I, I'm sure you can, but why would you want to? And I look at this man and I think how many times do people today come to Jesus and think, yeah, I believe you are God, but I believe you can save me, but why would you want to? Why would you want to? I know myself. I know who I am. I know the unkemptness, not so much of my hair, but of my everything. You can save me, but why would you want to? This man comes broken to Jesus. And Jesus... Him. And when we know 2 Peter 3 9, God is not willing that anyone should perish. We know from 1 Timothy 2 4 that, that God is willing that all should be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. But we know from Mark chapter 1 verse 41 that what drives Jesus is not. Thou stinkest. Thou art disgusting. Get thee away from me. You pile of dung. Which is what this man expected. Which is what this man expected. And yet Jesus turns to him and he has compassion. The, the, the word there, it comes from the words for guts. Jesus' guts are wrenched for this man. An alternative reading says that Jesus is angry, looks at him with anger, but it's not looking at him with anger, he's looking at the disease with anger. Because Jesus, his compassion is so obviously seen, he he not only looks at this man and feels for him, he reaches out 
touches him. Here is a man who has had leprosy, who has had not had another clean person, another non-leprous person touch him, I don't know for how long, probably for decades. Even if it was only for a year, can you imagine not being touched by anyone? And then this teacher, this preacher, this man who speaks and who has the authority of God, it seems, reaches out. <coughs> he's a rabbi. He's the holiest of holy ones. And he reaches out and he touches you. Not only does he touch you, but he says, I want to make you clean. Get clean. Be healed. I love those words. Jesus says to them, to the man, I am willing. Here comes the man. Why would you tell? Oh, I'm, I'm so horrible. Ah, why would you come near me? I'm dead. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I've come too close to you even here. What have I done? And Jesus says, I'm willing. Calm down. Relax. I'm willing. I want to save you. I want to make you whole. I want to make you clean. I'm not going to treat you like some polluted being. I'm going to risk it. Well, it, it's not a risk, though. Because the holiness of Jesus is greater than the ritual impurity of this man. The, the holiness of Jesus is stronger than the disease in this man. The holiness of Jesus is stronger than this man's own self-worth or lack thereof. And that's exactly the way Jesus treats us today. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, isn't that wonderful? Thank you! Wow! Isn't that amazing that Jesus loves us that much? And so, of course, the next time we come encountering a person who we think is a pile of dung, we should walk across the street. No. No. How many people run away from the church because they think that we will be judgmental? Because they think that we can't forgive? Because they think that we can't offer new healing and a place for new life? How many people are desperate to be with God and be with God's people and yet don't come any closer because they're frightened of us. If they come close, brothers and sisters, maybe even if you come close, surely the reply is going to be, Jesus was willing for me. Why wouldn't I be willing for you? Because I am walking in his footsteps. Jesus tells us, man, be healed and straight away, immediately. Remember, Mark is the action gospel. Straight away, healed. Just like Jesus said to the demon last week, get out, and the demon, gone. Jesus says, be healed. And instantly, 
Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. And then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Jesus immediately sent him away with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone. But go to the priest and offer the sacrifices according to the law of Moses. Leviticus 13, 14 had all of the conditions for how a priest would decide if someone was uh, uh, leprous and how, a pers- how the priest would decide if someone wasn't leprous. How they would prove it in the sacrifice and, and really great sacrifice speaking to Jesus. Ha- have a read of it. Uh, they, it takes two doves. One of them is killed. Uh, the blood is put on the other dove and it's set free. Um, and some of the other blood is put on the man uh, who is then declared to be clean. He is clean already. Jesus has instantly healed him. And Jesus says, go to the temple and as a witness to them, do what the law of Moses requires. By the way, this is a man that everyone would know as Jared the leper. Until he's gone through all the proper procedures and has got that proof. I have been cleansed, I've been made well, and it has been verified. Jesus is just looking out for this man, saying to him, go and do what's needed so that people will accept you again. But at the same time, Jesus says to him, don't tell I can just imagine Peter and his mate standing there going, okay, let's explain to you how the world works. Remember Capernaum? Remember the crowds? Remember how you said, no, I'm going somewhere else? And you left the crowds behind? And now you've got a man here. This is amazing. Leprosy Jesus, you healed him. And are you telling him to not tell anyone? This is not good for your image. Why does Jesus say, don't tell anyone? Maybe, largely maybe, because Jesus isn't out to give us sound bites for the six o'clock news. He's not after personal glory. Jesus is after the glory of the kingdom and the glory of the Father. I mean, Jesus' big concern is that the miracles do not overshadow what they stand for. The miracles, all these amazing things are evidence that the kingdom of God is near. And that as God's kingdom comes, it invades our world and undoes the kingdom of sin and death and Satan. That's why on the bulletin today we've got a picture of a plaster over a crack. Because as Jesus comes, he comes to undo the kingdom of this world and bring the kingdom that is coming. And because the kingdom is not like this kingdom, he doesn't operate the way we think he should operate. The time would come when Jesus would say to his disciples, Go out and tell everyone about what's happened. But that time comes only after Jesus 
has been lifted up and brought down low and raised to glory. Jesus doesn't want a faith based on wow. Because that kind of faith doesn't last. My favorite chapter in the Bible, John chapter 6. That fantastic chapter right at the end. Uh, I think it's John chapter 6. Right at the end where the crowds that Jesus has been speaking to all start leaving. And they're leaving because suddenly they're they're hearing, hey, this is more than just miracles. He's saying some stuff that really is, it's going to, the cost is huge. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is not a cheap exercise. The cost is huge. And in John chapter 6, the crowds start realizing this and they leave. I love that chapter because Jesus says to his disciples there, he says, are you going to go as well? Are you also, you've, you've seen all that I've done. Are you going to leave? Is, is your trust in me based on all the stuff that I can do for you? Based on the wow factor? And my mate Peter, who here in Mark chapter 1, is the guy who says, hey Jesus, get back, everyone wants you. You've got to play according to the rules, Jesus. Get back, get back, get back. Peter turns to him and says, Lord, Master, where are we going to go? Only you have words of eternal life. You you are God. You're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? You see, Jesus knew that, that if our faith is based on what we can get from Jesus and on the spectacle of Jesus... then there's trouble. But if our faith is based on the person of Jesus and in the power of Jesus, see, the miracles prove the power of God. Even Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians, he speaks about God's power at work and you saw God's power. And I didn't preach to you with, with it. When I preached to you, it was with a display of the power of God and you believed in God's power. Do you believe in that power that raised Jesus from the dead? Because that's what true, ba- true faith stands on. The final reason I think Jesus told this man to keep quiet is because it hindered his work. Jesus, after this, couldn't go into the towns anymore. Um, he couldn't go into the population centers and reach people that way. And yet he loved this man so much that he still said, I'm going to make you, I'm willing. And he says to him sternly, don't tell anyone. Because he knows this man is going to go and tell everyone. And he's going to muck up things and he's going to have to go out in the wilderness. And and yes, God's kingdom can't be stopped because people come to him. But Yeah, why did Jesus come? Not to fulfill our whims, but to meet our needs. Not to fulfill our whims, 
but to bring the kingdom of God to bear.